section of the book of 2 Kings, uh, we are, are encountering uh, the work of the prophet Elisha. And uh, you remember uh, that in chapter 5, the previous section that we uh, dealt with last week, we see that uh, Elisha actually comes to the aid of the king of Israel who has sent uh, a letter from the king of Syria uh, asking that he, uh, the king of Israel would heal this officer, this uh, general in the uh, Syrian army named Naaman. And uh, the king of Israel is uh, flummoxed. He thinks that this is an attempt to cause conflict between him and the king because he says, am I God to do this? And Elisha sends a message and says, uh, send him to me that he might know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman goes to Elisha, and there the Lord, uh, uh, in his great mercy, uh, heals Naaman uh, as he tells him to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman uh, struggles uh, at first, but he eventually does this, and the Lord uh, heals Naaman of his leprosy. Uh, and uh, he not only is healed, but he is converted. He has come to know the God of Israel, and he knows that his uh, pagan idol gods back in Syria are no gods at all. Uh, we're going to see in... Uh, Chapter 6, after we uh, look at the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight, that again, Elisha is dealing with uh, the, the kings of uh, the king of Syria who is warring against Israel. And uh, Elisha uh, helps the king of Israel by telling him uh, where the king of Syria is going to attack. Uh, the king of uh, Syria becomes uh, very frustrated, convinced that he has spies in his midst. And uh, he sends uh, uh, people to capture uh, El Elisha. And uh, this is a wonderful account, and we'll deal with that next week. But sandwiched in between uh, Elisha's dealings with the king of Syria and Israel and helping Naaman, the general of the Syrian army, uh, and the account that we're going to read and deal with next week, sandwiched in between is this short account of a miracle that Elisha does in chapter five, verses one, um, uh, chapter six, verses one through seven. So our text tonight is uh, chapter six, verses one through seven. Hear the word of God. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, "See the place where the, where we dwell under your charge is too small for us." Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe fell his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And then he showed him the place. 
He cut off a stick and he threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. And so he reached out his hand and he took it. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do know that uh, you have given to us the Bible. Uh, And there are many uh, things contained in the Bible. And this passage that we have read tonight uh, comes from your mouth. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is given to us that we might learn about you and about your love for your people. And we ask, O God, that you would touch us, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand those things that we can learn from this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all of you who are here tonight um, are dealing with uh, some issue, some difficulty in your life. Uh, I titled this sermon, The God of Sunken Axe Heads. But what I was thinking is that you could basically take that title and say, the God of, and then fill in the blank with whatever it is that you're dealing with this week. Something that's gone wrong, something that has been broken. Uh, This past week, I was, uh, as is my custom early in the morning, I go out into the kitchen. Uh, Sometimes before Eileen is up, and I start to take the dishes out that have been drying on the left side of the sink and put them away. Well, I grabbed the dish that I valued pretty highly because I, I uh, use it for a certain task having to do with bread making. So, so uh, as I was getting ready to put it into the uh, cupboard, it slipped out of my hands and smashed into a thousand pieces on the floor. You like to face those kinds of things early in the morning, don't you? Um, well, that's really nothing we read tonight of an account of something that happened to one of the sons of the prophets, and uh, it caused great difficulty for him. We see how he, uh, how God deals with this man through the prophet Elijah and comes to his help. So what I'd like for us to do is look at this under three headings, and we want to see first that God is the God of the small and the insignificant, as well as the big and the important. God is the God of the small and the insignificant, as well as the big and the important. Secondly, I want us to see that uh, God is the one who, for whom water is not a problem. And then thirdly, I want us to see that uh, God uh, has the power to deliver you from whatever problem it is that you are dealing with. God has the power to deliver you. First, God is a God of the small and the insignificant as well as the important. And the reason why I call attention to that is because of the fact that, you remember, The last miracle that Elisha did was with a a man who is called Great. And we are given his name. His name is Naaman. And he is an important man 
in Syria, who is an arch enemy, arch enemy nation to the nation of Israel. Well, here, this man of whom we read, as he is chopping uh, a tree, the head of his axe flies into the Jordan River, and uh, we're not told his name. We don't know anything about him. He's spoken of in sort of a general way. He's not an important person. And the event that is described here is an event that you might ask yourself, why in the world does God tell us this? Why does God go to the trouble to tell us about the head of an axe flying off and going into the River Jordan? What purpose does this serve? And thus my prayer a minute ago. Every word of God is given to us and is inspired, and it is for us to learn from. And so most of us are like this man. We lead relatively insignificant lives in terms of the larger context. Most of us uh, carry out our jobs day to day. We care for our families as best we can. And we do what is required of us to provide a roof over our head and uh, food on our tables and clothes on our backs. Well, in a way, that is what this man was doing. Uh, they were without, they had run out of room. They needed another building. And they went out uh, to the Jordan, uh, in the area of the Jordan to cut trees to build. And so, uh, what we want to see is that help comes to this man as well as to a man like Naaman. And that God doesn't, is not a, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't come only to certain kinds of people. He comes to all and helps. There are no little people. The rich and the poor, the great and the small, all are before the Lord, and the Lord cares about each and every one. The wealth of the rich person perishes. Their greatness does not last. The Bible says that its flower falls and its beauty perishes. The great are subject to the forces of decay and loss, just as the poor are. And so, uh, where then is human greatness? Human greatness is not determined by such externals. But this man, this man who lost his axe head, was important to the Lord. Not only was he important, but this event that occurred in his life, God knew about and cared about. They're building a building because they have run out of room. Uh, they're chopping away, cutting down trees. And any time that you uh, do that kind of work, you use expensive equipment and dangerous equipment. I just saw this afternoon uh, visiting Eileen's uh, uh, son, Connor. He was using a saw used to cut concrete or stone. And I looked at the blade on that thing and the power behind it, and I thought, boy, I would not want my leg anywhere coming near to that. And these uh, 
axes that this man was using, this, this uh, axe that flew off, uh, was an important tool to this man. It was not cheap or inexpensive, and it was a dangerous tool. And uh, yet he is cutting wood, and as uh, he is doing so, as he, as he does this, he is doing something that as we evaluate the importance of events, uh, this incident that happened to him doesn't seem that important. There are those things that we do in our lives that others don't know about, that are never noticed, and maybe you never get a thank you. Who is going to care if you pick up your clothes? Who will notice if you sweep the floor? Who will care if you wash those dirty dishes? Yet those things, the daily things of life, where, as they say, the rubber meets the road. They're small, they're not important, but they are acts done for the Lord. The Lord knows about the unimportant things that we do. What is of greater importance, sleeping hours or waking hours? Our waking hours, so we are apt to say, and as the psalmist says, as we, as we wake, we rise early, and we go late to rest, and we eat the bread of anxious toil. Well, what about our sleeping hours? Uh, the psalmist goes on to say he gives his beloved sleep. Sleep is important. It is a gift of God to men. Ask anyone who is deprived of it for a long time. It is just as important to sleep as it is to work when we are awake. We put an end to our working day, and we trust that God will bless what we have done. And we put an end to it, trusting that in the morning we'll get up and we'll face the new challenge. And so we can see that day by day, the things that we do, are important in God's sight, though they seem unimportant to us. If you are in school, what is of greater importance? Sitting alone in front of a book, with a book open, reading, trying to memorize what you are studying, or actually taking the test or writing the paper. Those hours spent in front of the book are important. The diligence that we show in doing that work matters, just like this man's work mattered to God, and God knew about it, and he cared. We're told in the Bible, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, sleep or wake, do it all to the glory of God. Ralph Davis makes this comment on this passage. He says, if we don't believe correctly here, then the things that seem little, the little problems, the small details, the insignificant matters will pile up and we don't cast 
our cares upon our Father, because surely we think he could not be bothered. That is not true, as we see in the passage before us. While it is true that God is in heaven and the earth is his footstool, it is a wonderful thing to know that God knows your day-to-day activities and he cares for you. You may consider yourself unimportant, but you are important to him. He gave his only son for your eternal life. And if he has given you his only son, he has promised that he will freely give you all things with him. While heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool, he cares about the events that seem small in your life, the unimportant matters, your tests, your practices, your games, your races, your meetings, your dinners, your housework, your yard work, your broken car, your squabbles, your difficulties. He cares about all of that. The Apostle Paul tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, let your requests and supplications be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul, and, and uh, Peter tells us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I've paused over those words many times as I've read them, and I've thought those are some of the most precious words in the Bible. He cares for you. He is omnipotent. He is infinite. He sits on his throne in heaven. And there's not a one of you over whom he does not exercise a watchful care and protection. We've been studying in Calvin's Institutes his section having to do with the angels. And it is a marvelous thing Uh, that some of the paragraphs that Calvin writes about the reason that God uses angels to come to the aid of his people. And there are angels watching and caring for us as well. God uses them to carry out his work and to minister in various ways for his people. That is something that is, uh, uh, is a beautiful thing to think about. I want to move us to the second thing for us to consider. Not only is God the God of the small and the unimportant, as well as the large and important, he is the God who, for whom uh, water is no difficulty. And basically what I mean here, you might say, well, that's kind of a strange thing to say. Basically, God is the God of the impossible. What are you facing? 
What are you dealing with? What is causing you anxiety? God is a God of the impossible. The loss of this axe head for this man in the midst of the Jordan River was an irreversible loss to this man. There's no way at that time in the world's history to dive into the Jordan River with uh, machines, with lights, to search and dredge the bottom of the Jordan River. It was not possible. If anything went in there, it was lost. And so what happened? He, rent, he went to Elisha, and he, and he says to Elisha, My father, it was borrowed. It was borrowed. Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And here is a man who comes to the man of God with this desperate plea. It was borrowed. And Elisha responds to that by cutting off a stick and throwing it in the water. And he throws it near the place where this iron had gone in the water. Now, iron, you know this, don't you? It doesn't float. But this axe head floated to the surface of the water. God overcame the force of gravity, and the iron floated to the top. Elisha told the man, reach out your hand and take it, and he did. I want to talk about that more in a second, but I want us to just to consider the fact that water in the Bible is symbolic, of course. Water is a symbol of the, of the Holy Spirit. That's something that we know. But water is also a symbol of death. Go back to Noah's flood uh, and uh, think of uh, that. Think of the, uh, the, 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 the sea that the Israelites were up against with Pharaoh bearing down on them. And uh, they cry out to Moses. They know that they're, they're gone. Why? There's a huge body of water in front of them, and they have no place that they can go. But the God of Israel, through Moses, said to Israel, Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. <clears throat> and just as he did for this insignificant, unnamed man, who lost his axe head, on a much far greater scale, God, through Moses his prophet, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and all, all night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Water is no obstacle to God. <laughs> And so we see here that he causes an axe head to float and to swim to this man's hand. Now, if we think of some of the typology of the scriptures and we think of water and uh, how death is is pictured as, as crossing the river, right? Death is crossing the river. In the final analysis... When our time on earth is done and we cross that river, death itself is no obstacle. How do we know that? Christ rose from the dead. And we have, raised, we have been raised with him. And the day will come if Christ doesn't come before. 
that we will cross the river Jordan and we will be in the very presence of God. Water, symbol and obstacle, uh, of, of, and the obstacle of uh, primarily and, and, and in a huge way, uh, the cause of death uh, for so many could have been God brought the people of Israel through the Red Sea and he will bring you through your whatever that Red Sea is for you, whatever body of water, whatever trouble, whatever it is that you think it's impossible, God is capable of dealing with that and bringing you through your trouble. So uh, the third thing I'd like for us to see then tonight is that God has power to deliver you. God has power to deliver you. When the axe head flew off the axe handle into the Jordan River, as we said, the man went to the prophet Elisha, and he cried out, it was borrowed, verse 5. And this event, as we said, uh, you, know, it, you know, why are we told this? Well, as we read this account, uh, we kind of look through, you know, modern American Western eyes, uh, if the same thing happened to you, what would you do? You'd go down to Rocky's Hardware or to Home Depot and you'd spend another $30 or so, or who knows, whatever. Um, you'd spend that money and you'd get a new axe head and it would hardly be a blip. But in ancient Israel, those of you who have studied the scriptures, you know that in ancient Israel there was a shortage of iron and there were very few iron implements. And so iron was a rare and a very costly thing. Uh, Ray Dillard, in his commentary on this, says, iron implements would have been extremely expensive. Many hours of labor would have been required to build the fires, to refine the ore, and then to shape that ore into an iron tool. And uh, the Israelites did not have a lot of discretionary uh, income, Dillard says. And he goes on to say, losing an axe head then would be comparable to wrecking a borrowed car today. Uh, it, it would be something that would alter your life and that you might not have the money to pay for. And so it was for this man. And he cries out to Elisha, and says, it is borrowed. What, uh, what uh, probably lay ahead for him because of that was that he would have to sell himself and become an indentured servant or slave until that money was paid for because in ancient Israel, there was no such thing as just uh, not paying your debts. That debt would have had to be paid. And so... Uh, what, did Pro, what did Elisha do when he caused this iron to flow and he told the man to reach out and take it? Well, what actually happened by, in that act is that Elisha, or God, became this man's redeemer and deliverer. He delivered him from slavery. And when, you, when he reached in his hand and grabbed that hand. What do you think he did? My guess is that he ran to Elisha and uh, he got down on the ground and thanked the Lord 
that he had just been handed his life back. He would have had to go into servitude to pay for that axe head. And when it was delivered back to him, it was as though his own life was handed back to him. Now think a minute about that. Is that not what God does for us? Is that not what God has done for us in Jesus Christ? We have a debt that we cannot possibly pay. We are indentured servants and slaves to death and to the devil. But what has God done for us? He has given given us our life back. He has paid the debt that you owe. He has given you the axe head back. He has paid the penalty for your sins. He has paid the debt to justice that you ought to pay. And he has done it through Christ. As we heard so beautifully this morning, preach to us concerning how it is that Christ on the cross became accursed for us that we would be set free. And that we would receive not only the freedom of sin forgiven, but on top of that, the gift of eternal life and the gift, the free gift of the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what this is really a picture of? And a beautiful, uh, this man's story is a picture of divine grace. God's grace. And how Christ has done that for you. He sent his only son to become incarnate, to be fully God and fully man, that by his obedience and the sacrifice of himself, that he would satisfy the justice of his father and purchase not only reconciliation with God, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. That's what God has done for you in Christ. That's what that axe head symbolizes for us tonight. And so now he gives us an invitation. It's an invitation that Jesus gave in these words. And he gives these words to all who are heavy laden. Are you heavy laden? Are you burned down? He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Labor is what this servant, what this man who lost the axe head would have to do as a slave. Labor is what you have to do to pay the debt of guilt that you can't pay. That debt to justice. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will, you will find rest for your soul. The author of Hebrews tells us that since 
children share in the flesh and blood, Christ also partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Notice that through the fear of death, we are subject to lifelong slavery. Christ has delivered you. He's given you your life back. He's given you everlasting life as a free gift. The power of God over water points you tonight to this fact that God is able to deliver you. He has paid the debt that you deserve. The God of sunken accents, the God of fill in the blank, the God who is able to do far more than you are able to imagine because he cares care for you. From all eternity, he has cared for you. And he gave his only son for you. Will he not also give you all things? If he has given you Christ, he will give you everything that comes with him. Praise God for his grace and his mercy to us who in ourselves are without hope, but in Christ we have been redeemed. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do give thanks to you for this passage. We don't know anything about this man, but we sense his despair at the loss of this axe head. We sense also his joy at its recovery. And so, O Lord, we pray that we also may be driven to a proper despair, and that we might be driven to you who are the God who can solve and deal and redeem us and save us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for our salvation. We pray, O oh God, that you would enable us all to trust, to place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn tonight is uh, hymn number 343, What Wondrous Love Is This? 343, What Wondrous Love Is This? Let's stand together as we sing.
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.